Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Israelite, he was just a vagabond that came out of Egypt with the children of Israel, and when things didn't go his way, later on when, you know, they would, they had, they had gotten out of Israel, and, or gotten out of Egypt, and they had, had gotten across the Red Sea, and gotten out into the wilderness away, they began to, it says that the rabble, there was rabble among them, that was Dathan, he was rabble. Rabble of people that really weren't connected. They were just there. And they just came along for the ride, you know, looking for the promised land. They were looking for something for themselves. Selfish motivation, I'm sure, but they began to murmur against Moses and against Aaron. And to say, do you think you guys are the only anointed ones here? Who do you think you are that God has set you up over the rest of the people? Aren't we all equal? Aren't we all the same? Moses, it says that Moses fell on his face. Moses is like, wow, man, you just don't, wow, you don't know what you're saying. He fell on his face before God. He says, God, what do I do about this? And God says, says you know, we'll, we'll just show them who I have placed in charge. We've got a little, little movement here, guys. I don't know what it is. We've got a little feedback situation. So he... Um, Moses said, all right, tomorrow, he says, bring your censers, and we're going to find out who God has anointed to be the leader. And so they came out the next day, and, and, and Moses said, you know, God is going to do something he's never done before. He said, now, God is going to open up the earth, and he's going to swallow up. He's going to do, he's going to show you something you've never seen before. And, and, and if he does something that, that is normal, then you'll know that I'm, I'm not the one that's called to be your leader. But if God is God, if I'm the one that God has called to be, be the leader, then let the ground open up and swallow them. Get away from them. If you don't want to be part of this, get away from them. And sure enough, the earth has opened up and swallowed them. Swallowed them, their families, their house, and everything. Just They were gone. God dealt with the situation. But, you know, thank God we live in a day of grace that the Lord doesn't do that kind of thing I don't think. Maybe he does. Maybe we just don't know. But it's a dangerous thing when we become bitter and angry at those that are in authority over us. It creates in something inside of us. It makes us like spiritual vagabonds. You know what a vagabond is, don't you? Vagabond is someone who doesn't have any roots. They just move around. They don't have any place. They don't really belong anywhere. They just kind of bounce from here. They bounce from there, you know. And, and, and how many know, I, I, I don't want to get into judging or anything, but I know I've seen people who, you know, you see them one week and they say, well, I'm in this church. And you see them a couple weeks later, well, I'm in this church. And, well, I didn't like what was going on there, so I went over here. And I didn't like what was going on over there, so I went over here. And, and so they just move around from church to church. And, and, and they're kind of like the rabble. They spread those seeds of bitterness and discontentment wherever they go. That's what bitterness does and anger does inside of us if we don't deal with it. If we don't deal with it. Now, 
Psalm 92, 13 says, Those who were planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those are planted where? In the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I didn't say that, did I? Hey, that's in the Bible. Everybody say, that's in the Bible. Psalm 92, 13 is right there. It's in the Bible. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of the Lord. You know, one thing is impossible. It's impossible to grow a plant without established roots. And roots cannot be established if the plant is always being Christ. If we always are moving around like a tumbleweed, if we're always moving around, not established, not planted, then that's what we become. But what causes that more than anything else? You know what the number one cause of people leaving a church is? Offense. They become offended. Now, we, when we started this, this series, I made a statement that the major cause of offense is what? Y'all remember? What's the major cause of offense? Come on, somebody tell me. Say it out loud. Unmet expectations. The number one cause of offense is unmet expectations. Someone doesn't do what we expect them to do, we get offended. Happens a lot with pastors. It's happened with me. I've, 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 I've gotten offended at, at, at leadership before. And God had to deal with me about that. And it's caused a lot of pain in my own life when, when I didn't deal with it properly. But God has ways of showing you. You know, how many knows that the Lord disciplines those that he loves? And when he talks about discipline, he says that, that God disciplines us because he loves us. And he says, discipline... When we discipline a child, it's not pleasant. You think it does, does God's heart good to have to discipline us? Does it do you good to discipline your kid? Come here, kid. Let me discipline you. Don't you ever do that again. You know, that's, that doesn't feel good, does it? No, it, 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 it hurts inside. If y'all, if you, those of you who have children, you know, it's one of the hardest things to do as a parent is discipline a child, isn't it? We would much rather love them and hold them and hug them and tell them how good they're doing and how beautiful they are and how sweet they are and everything else. We hate to have to discipline our kids. It's the same with God and us. He doesn't want to discipline us, but it is necessary for us if we're going to be able to reach our full potential in Him. Then God has to discipline us from time to time. If we get out of line, why does He do it? To correct us. There are corrections that come in our life sometimes if we're disobedient to the Lord or if we have bitterness and we don't deal with it, then we fall in that category where if we violate the principles of God, then we have to suffer the consequences. Everybody say cause and effect. For every action, there is a reaction. For every seed that is sown, there is a harvest. The law of reciprocity says, whatever we sow, that shall we also reap. Now, I have been pulled into situations before, and this is the most dangerous kind of offense that you can have. Is when you become offended, not because of something done to you, but something that is done to someone else other than you. That's a dangerous place to be. 
probably one of the highest levels of offense because, man, you can mess with me. Don't mess with my wife or my kids. You know, when you do that, you're treading on some dangerous ground. Because, you know, I love Jesus, and I love my kids, and I love my family, I love my wife. Don't mess with them. Y'all know what I'm saying? And if someone does, then, then that, that creates problems. And God is the same way with us. He doesn't want somebody messing with their kids. But anyway, let me, let me move on a little bit. So, one of the highest levels is when we become offended by someone in spiritual authority. That's the other one. The number one cause of people leaving church and moving from church to church or never being established or having roots in spirit for spiritual growth is because of offense. Now, David, the king of Israel, when he was about 14 years of age, he was anointed to be the king of Israel. Think about that, when he was 14 years of age. God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. He says, you're going to anoint the next king of Israel. So he goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has seven sons. And there's six of them there. And he, he calls each one of them in. And, and, you know, these big scrapping warriors come in, you know. And, and he takes a good look at them and says, surely that's the Lord's anointed. And God says, nope, that's not the one. Nope, that's not the one. Well, check this one out, man. I mean, he's got pecs like crazy. I mean, he's just, oh. He's got to be the one. Nope, that's not the guy. What about him? He's smart, man. This guy could be a general. I mean, he's just the king. Oh, he's just something. Nope, he's not the one. So he goes down the list, and all six of them, the Lord says, nope, they're not the ones. But then he says to Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I got one more, but he's out there tending the sheep. <laughs> I mean, he laughed. I can't imagine. I can't imagine him being the king. And, and some theologians say that David was probably from another mother than the other six. So he wasn't regarded as highly as the other ones. You know, in those days, they married multiple wives. And so David didn't fit in with the, with the brothers. So David's out there tending the sheep. But, and, and Samuel says, well, call him in. So they call him in. And as soon, soon as he walks in the door, God says, that's the one. That's the one. Well, he don't look like a king. Well, God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't look at the man's appearance. He looks upon the heart. And David had a heart after God. And so he was anointed to be the king of Israel. Did they take him out, start blowing the trumpets and everything? No. What did David do? He went back to tending his sheep. You know, he goes out and he's like, wow, man, I got oil all over me. What's that all about? You know? But God began preparing his heart. God began to build his character. God sent tests his way. You know, David says that he, he killed a lion. He killed a, a, a bear with his bare hands. I mean, this kid out tending sheep, and God is preparing him. And so later on, Saul, 
who was anointed to be the king. He was the first king. He was the people's king because he was a head taller than anybody else in all of Israel. He was anointed to be the king, and he looked like a king. I mean, he fit the bill. This dude did. I mean, he was humble when they first called him in. It says that he hid himself, and, you know, Samuel had to actually pull him out and anoint him, with, you know, to be the king. But once he became the king, he began to relish that role, and he became arrogant and, pride and prideful in himself. And he did some things that caused him to lose his place as the king of Israel. So the Lord rejected him from being king. And the Lord had already anointed David to be the king, but Saul didn't know it. So when Saul was rejected as being king, you can just imagine the depression he went into and everything else. And he was probably angry at God and bitter at God. You see, that's what it does. And and it says an evil spirit... And the Bible actually says an evil spirit from God came upon him. So they became depressed and everything else. And, he was, and so they, they began to say, well, what can we do for the king to help him? And somebody suggested, why don't you get a minstrel to come in and maybe play the harp or something or the guitar? You know, I'd, I'd say guitar, but, you know, they said harp. All depends on whose perspective. I think somebody was a piano player or a harpist wrote that, but I believe it was a guitar player. So when, when, when Saul would have these fits, they would call for David, and David would come in, and he'd go back out tending his sheep. Well, one day he's out there tending his sheep, and his father comes, and he tells him, David, I need you to go check on your brothers. I got some things I want you to take them. I got some, some, uh, you know, some care packages I want you to take them. And so David takes these things and he, to deliver them to his brothers. And when he gets to Jerusalem, guess what? There's a battle line that is formed between Israel and the Philistines. And, and, and David gets there, and there's a whole lot of commotion. And, and, you know, they're yelling at each other, cross lines and everything. And, and the, the Philistines are over there yelling at, the, at the, the children of Israel, you know, the Israeli armies. And they're saying, why don't you send out a champion to fight our champion? And they got this guy over there, man. I mean, big Brian, I wish he were here this morning. Brian's six foot nine. He would have been a midget in this guy's presence. He was over nine feet tall, about nine and a half feet tall. And the Bible says that his spear had a shaft like a weaver's beam. How many has ever seen a weaver's beam? It's about that big around. Had a shaft like that. This was this guy's spear. And he's standing over there taunting. And, and saying bad things about the God of Israel. I mean, he was mocking God. He's mocking the Israeli army. And he's, he's just, just embarrassing them. And they're standing there like, Eliab, why don't you go out and fight him? Uh-uh. No way. I ain't going out there. How about you? Uh, not me, bro. Well, come on. I'll go with you. I don't think both of us can handle him. He's too much, man. We, and so they all were cowering down. And this guy is just cursing God and just saying all kinds of vile things about the God of Israel. And David comes up. And David hears what's going on. He's like, who is this uncircumcised rascal? Who is this guy that dares to defy the God of Israel? Who is he? Well, that's Goliath. Well, what's, what, why won't somebody go out and fight him? You know who should have went out and fought him? Saul. Saul should have gone out and fought him. But Saul didn't want to go out there and fight him either. Because he's the king. So nobody wanted to go out and fight Goliath. And David says, hey, I'll take him on. His brother's like, you? You? 
Why don't you go back out and tend your old flea-bitten sheep? Who do you think you are anyway? Go back home. And David's like, no, I'll fight him. So somebody overheard him and said, let's take him to the king. See what the king's got to say about that. So he goes in and he tells the king, he says, I'll go out and fight you. I'll go face Goliath. And the king's like, well, you can't go out there like you are, man. All you got is like shepherd's clothes on. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're going to go out there and get killed, at least look like a warrior. And he says, here, put on my armor. And so David tries on the king's armor. And, you know, it's just hanging all over him and everything else. He's like, man, I can't go out there and fight like this. Good gracious, you know, just clanking along in this armor and stuff. And, and so he said, I, I, no, I, I don't want to do that. He said, just, just, just let me do it my way. The king's like, okay, whatever you want. Said, I want to do tell you that, that if, if you go out there and kill him, there's a reward for you. He said, I'll give you my daughter in marriage. I mean, the king is making a bold statement. Do you think he really believes that David's going to go out and kill the, Goliath? No. He thinks he's just going to go out there and be mincemeat for Goliath. I mean, he's just a little snack for the end of his spear. But David goes out, and it says David goes down to the brook, and he picks up five stones, one for Goliath and four for his ugly brothers. So he gets five smooth stones, and he puts stones in his bag except one. And Saul and, and, and Goliath looks at him, and he sees David and says, what? What are you sending a puppy dog out here to fight me for? You think I'm, you think I'm a dog that I'm going to take that thing on? I mean, come on now. Send me a warrior. You sending this little pipsqueak out here to fight me? And David just says, I want to tell you something. You can come against me with your spear and your sword. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And he takes out his stone and he puts it in his sling and he gives it a whirl and he slings it. Whap! Hits Goliath right in the head. He falls down on the ground. And David goes up. And he wasn't dead yet. He was just stoned. But David goes up. <laughs> David goes up. And he takes Goliath's sword or he takes Goliath's own sword out of his sheath and he chops off his head with it. Now he's done. He's definitely dead now. And he comes back with the head of Goliath in his hand. Now, can you imagine? This kid was probably about 17 years old at the time this happened. 17-year-old kid going out, and, and he's already defeated the champion of the Philistines. Well, you know, the, he became a cult figure immediately around Israel. And Saul was so impressed with him that he made him the commander of his armies. So they would go out to fight. And one day they had gone out to fight. And when they came back from battle, the ladies, they all came out with their tambourines. And they're singing, they're dancing, and, you know, and, and, and they're singing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. <laughs> and the Bible says that David or, or, or Saul gets jealous. He did this displeased Saul, it says, that they're singing about David, that he's slain his ten thousands. He come back and he says, they say that I've only killed a thousand, but David's killed ten thousands. And he gets angry and bitter at David. So then that spirit comes upon him. 
And they send for David to come and play the harp. And David comes into Saul's presence and he's playing the harp. And he happens to open his eyes as he's playing. He looks up and Saul's got a spear. He slings it at him and David ducks and goes into the wall and David heads out. He runs from Saul. Well, this happened on several occasions. David wonders, what did I do to Saul? What have I done? And David, rather than to confront Saul or to say anything bad or degrading about Saul or with the influence that he had as a champion over the armies of the Philistines and the influence that he had among the men of Israel, don't you think that he could have created a coup and taken Saul down? Don't you think he could have risen up against Saul and got enough people on his side because Saul wasn't acting right? He wasn't being the the king of Israel as he should be. He wasn't the anointed one that he should be. He wasn't doing things right. Don't you think he could have mounted an insurrection and gotten Saul taken down? You know what he did? He left. Not willingly, but he fled for his life. And so Saul gets a group of soldiers together, about three or 400 soldiers, and, and, and he takes off after David. They're pursuing David. And they are hot on his trail, man, and they, they get close to David. And, and, and so Saul, while he's out one day, you know, he has normal body functions like everybody else. And the Bible says that he went into a cave to relieve himself. And some of David's men who had come over to David's side saw it. And they said to David, now's your chance. Now's your chance. And David thought about it. And he goes into the cave. And Saul is using the bathroom. And David slips up. And all of a sudden, he's convicted in his heart. He's thinking, I can't raise up my hand against God's anointed. But I will make a statement. So he slips up and he cuts off the corner of his robe. And he carries it back out. So when Saul comes out from relieving himself, David calls out to him, My father, Lord the king, my Lord the king, look what I have. Why are you chasing me? Why are you wanting to destroy me? Don't you realize that I could have taken your life at this moment? But even that, you know what the Bible says about David? He was convicted in his heart that he had done this to King Saul. He was convicted. The Lord convicted him for raising up against the king, even making an example of him because this was God's anointed. And so David flees from him again, and and so Saul gets a bigger army. He gets about 3,000 people, and they come hard after David, and they're chasing him. And by this time, David has has assimilated about 300 men because it says he goes to this cave called Adullam, and, and there while he's in this cave, about 300 misfits come to David. I think about that sometimes when I think about this church. We're all a bunch of misfits here. But they came to David. They were the people that were discontented. They were people that owed money. They were people that lost their jobs or whatever. So they came to David, and they they became his army. But David whipped this army of misfits into an army of mighty men. They were warriors, man. And so Saul is out to get him. So one night, one one of David's spies come back and say, Hey, 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 now's your chance. Now's your chance. Abishai, who was, who was Joab's brother, came to David and said, Hey, let's go over 
Let's take care of Saul and Abner, his general. So they snuck into the camp of Saul. And Saul's armies, they're, they're all asleep. And there is Saul and his spear stuck in the ground. And he's sound asleep. And right beside him is his bodyguard doing a great job of watching out for his king. He's asleep too. And Abishai says, oh, please let me, let me do it. Let me do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to raise your hand against God's anointing. Let me. I will do it. I'll pin them to the ground. And David says, no. Don't you understand? This is God's anointed. I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. I will not do it. He understood the principle of God's anointed. Those that God has placed in leadership. Listen, folks. I want to tell you something. Be careful. Be careful about the things that you say against God's anointed. I want you to understand something else, too. That the calling and the gifts of God are without what? Repentance. When God calls somebody and anoints them, no matter what they do, guess what? They're still God's called and God's anointed. We're not to raise up our voices against them. We're not to murmur against them. We're not to talk about them. Romans 14, 4 says, Who are you, O man, to judge another man's servant? We don't have that right. That responsibility is God's and God's alone. I wish I could say that I had never fallen victim to that. I wish I could say that I had never, ever gotten involved in that. But there was a chance, there was a time that I did. And I'm not proud of that at all. I took up the offense of others, got involved in it, and... As I look back now and I see a lot of the things that have happened in my own life, it was that law of reciprocity, sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. The very things that had been done to this other pastor that I became involved in happened to me. You can't do it. You cannot raise up your voice. You cannot. I don't care what they do. And, and things were said, and I fell victim to listening to it and, and, and come to find out that later on that it wasn't true. All the things, there was, a, there was a partial truth. There was enough there to bring an indictment against him, but there was not enough there for a conviction. You know what I'm talking about? And if we listen to what people have to say, it was just like about him and Dathan, when they begin to raise up their voices against Moses and they begin to criticize him, they begin to talk about him, and everybody started listening to what they had to say. And the next thing you know, the whole camp is in trouble. We can't do that. We have to let God handle those situations. If I'd have been a little more, more mature, I probably wouldn't have, to have gotten involved in it, but I did. God is gracious, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to go back and make restitution to, to restore relationships with those very people that I offended by getting involved in those things. You know, sometimes I wonder 
If what I had to experience was somehow a reaping of what I had sown earlier that was done, was done against me and was, was what I had also done to somebody else. Romans twelve seventeen says this, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of men, of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never, everybody say never. Never Never take your own revenge. We say that one more time. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. I think maybe that word wrath might have been put there accidentally. Maybe the translators put it there. I believe it just means leave room for God. Let God handle it. Let God handle it. Because it is a fearful thing to fall under the wrath of God. It's a fearful thing to experience His wrath. And you don't want to do that. But I believe that God handles things His way. He handles it. And if we will leave it in the hands of God, He'll take care of it. Again, I could point to my own experience and. I remember some of the things that was done to me, some of the, the, the things that were written, some of the things that were said. I had a legal case. I mean, I was even encouraged by, by fellow pastors to, to take someone to court and sue them over what they had said and, and the things that they had done. And you know what? I thought about it. But I thought, no, that's not God's way. Because first of all, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not to take a fellow brother to court, right? If you've got to ought with somebody, what's your responsibility? To go to them and them alone. Then if it's not worked out, take with you two more. And then if it doesn't work out, then you take the elders. You call them before the elders. You don't handle it yourself. You let God do it. God has recourse in the way that things are handled. But it's never to be handled through bitterness or through anger or through unforgiveness. Our responsibility is to forgive. That's what we chose to do. We chose to forgive and let God handle it. More importantly, we chose to do something else. This is where it really gets interesting. It's one thing to forgive your enemies, isn't it? It's another thing to bless and to pray for them. Now, when we forgive... You know what we've done? We've zeroed out the account. We've zeroed it out. Okay, you're good. But if you want to really experience the blessings of God, then you have to add to that account. Not on your side, but on the account of the offender. You bless them. Bless those who despitefully use you and abuse you and say all manner of evil against you. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. But isn't that what Jesus did? Who did Jesus die for? Did he die for the righteous? No. Who did he die for? He died for the sinners. He died for us. He died for you and me, because we are sinners, right? He died for the sinners, not for the just, but for the unjust. That's the goodness of God that calls us to repentance. God 
When Jesus died on the cross, God should have, he, he, he justfully could have shown his anger and wiped us out for killing his son. But that's the reason he came. To not show us the wrath of the Father, but to show us the love of the Father. That was God's way of blessing us. Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are not counted against them. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed. Are you blessed this morning? I'm blessed. God had every right to destroy me. He still does. He still does. But God showed his love toward me instead. And he caused Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for me in order that I might become the righteousness of God in him. He blessed. Now, when we have someone that has offended us or done something against us that, that, that really is offensive. Everybody say offensive. offensive. What did I give you? The first, the first scripture that I gave you in this series is Luke 17, 1. It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible, but offenses would come. Wow. But, it is impossible, but offenses would come. But woe to the one by whom they come. Now, this is where God deals with those who are in spiritual authority, who abuse their authority, and who cause stumbling among those that he has appointed that person over. Woe to him. It would be better for him to do what? Have a millstone tied around his neck and be cast into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. That's a fearful thing to think about. I've thought about that many, many times. It would be better for me to have a millstone tied around my neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Anybody been out to the middle of the ocean? I've only been about 40 miles out, and it was so deep you couldn't see. We didn't have enough line on rods and reels to get to the bottom. It's deep. And to think that it would be better for me to have, anybody know what a millstone is? They're huge. You have one of those tied around your neck and flung into the middle of the sea. That's a big sinker. (laughs) Baby, you're shark bait. You ain't coming back. But see, that's why we leave these things in the hands of God and let God deal with it. Sometimes it's better if we just walk away and we bless as we go. Not with cursing, not with murmuring, not with complaining, but we just bless and we move on. Sometimes God calls us to do that. Sometimes God calls us to stay. We have to search our own heart and find out what it is what the Lord would have us to do. But one thing we cannot do is allow ourselves to become offended. Hebrews 12, 14, 15 says, Pursue peace with all men. Everybody say all men. men. Now, who does that include? Everybody. And the sanctification without which no man will see the Lord. And see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it, Many are defiled. This is a very serious thing that I'm talking about this morning. David passed the character test. 
He did not raise his hand against God's anointed. He told Abiathar, he says, look, I will not raise my hand against God's authority. I will allow God to do that. Who knows what God will do? God will judge it. God will handle it. He may go into battle, and he may be destroyed in battle. I don't know. But I'm going to leave that up to God. I'm not going to do it. And you know what happened to Saul? The very thing that David spoke about. David didn't raise up his hand against him. The Philistines killed him. God handled the situation with Saul so that David could fulfill his destiny. And a lot of times if we take matters into our own hands, we parlay or we destroy our own destiny in God. And the reason that we're here to to minister to you, our our mantra here at Destiny City is to help others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. That's what we want to help you to do is find and fulfill your God-given destiny. We don't want to short-circuit. We don't want to see it in shambles because you have a destiny in God. Every one of us has a God-given destiny. And we can either take it ourselves and take matters in our own hands and lose out with God and lose God's purpose in our life, or we can allow Him to handle these situations. I prefer it God's way. God is so gracious. I remember several years ago, my wife and I were at a conference, and we had gone up to the prophet, who, by the way, is going to be here in June. I'll mention that because he's coming real soon. His name is Jim Riley. I've never had anybody prophesy over me and and, and be so succinct and so exact in what he's saying. I mean, this guy was like, man, he's like reading my mail and stuff. And he's like, you know, for the last five years, you've walked through the most difficult time in your entire life, especially these last two years. And man, he was like, he had my attention because he was speaking truth to me. The last two years before that were just like, it it was like a nail biter every week. I mean, I literally felt like I was floating down a river with my nose sticking up. That was about all you could see. Every now and then I'd get a breath. Because we were, I felt like we were sinking fast. I mean, we were, we were standing in faith. We were believing God. But it was tough. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Because you were there with us. I mean, we were setting up, tearing down every week, you know. And, and just, but he spoke. And he says, he said, but I want you to understand something. He said, what has happened to you? Man didn't do it to you. God did it. Oh. And now I think back about that. And I think about what happened to me when he said, God did it. Why did God do it that way? What do you think? Because of the way I did things. called the law of reciprocity reaping what you sow that's all I can think of it's because of the way that I reacted to things that I did you know innocently or not when you rise up against another spiritual leader someone else is in authority you're going to suffer the consequences for it and I did And it was painful. You don't want to do that. I promise you, you don't want to do that. When he said God did it, but he said God did it to get you to the place that you are at right now. And I believe that if we had not blessed those 
who did what they did to us. When we left, we would not have been in that position at the time that God called us into that position. We chose to bless and we chose to forgive rather than try to, and we just, we didn't just walk away, we blessed. We left a blessing behind. And that's important. And God has rewarded us for that. That's why we're here today. It's because of God's reward. So, rather than get bitter, get better. (laughs) Don't get bitter, get better. See, David's character was developed. That's what God was doing through David. He was developing his character. And it showed. David wasn't perfect. We know that. There was only one perfect man, and they killed him. They crucified him. But David wasn't perfect. But the Bible says that David was what? A man after God's own heart. David's heart was in the right place. You may not do it right, perfect every time. You know, if you did, you would be Jesus. God could have sent you. But the Bible says in Romans 12, 19, as much as is possible, as much as lies within you, as much as possible, you live at peace with all men. So the ball is basically in your court, right? As much as possible. Pursue peace with all men. I mean, we look for it. We do the best we can do. And sometimes it's impossible. So what's the thing we do then? We turn the other cheek. We go the other way. We leave it in the hands of God and let God handle it. You see, God's been at this a long time. And wisdom was with God when the earth was founded. I read about that in Proverbs 9. Wisdom was there. And wisdom was in the heart of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So God knows how to handle these situations. So we do it God's way and let God handle it. Let God handle it. Are you going through a difficult time with somebody? Here's what you do. You don't take matters into your own hands. You bless them. You pray for them. And you let God handle it. Say that with me. I will bless them. I will pray for them. I will let God handle it. I think we need to say that one more time. When someone offends me, I will bless them. I will pray for them. And I will let God handle it. Amen? That's the way we got to handle it. And God will take care of the rest. How many believe that? Amen. He's a faithful God, isn't he? Forgiveness. That's what it's all about. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.